Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, there is an outline for today's sermon in your yellow bulletin if you'd like to have a look at that uh, or if you would like to take any notes. Let me pray for us before we do look at this passage from John together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us here today in John chapter 10. Uh, thank you that it is good, that it is powerful, and that through, our, through it you speak to us and that you teach us uh, of your Son, who is the Messiah, the Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It can be frustrating when someone doesn't tell you what you want to hear. If you ask them a question and they seem to answer a different question. Or if you ask them something and they evade the question altogether. Now, people can have all sorts of questions when it comes to God. And that's a perfectly natural thing. We can want to ask God why something happens or why another thing doesn't happen when we would like it to. We can ask God why the world is the way it is. Uh, we can ask God what decisions we should make in our life as well. And it can feel frustrating to us when we feel like we don't get a direct answer. Uh, when we're thinking, why doesn't God just tell us plainly what we should do? Why things are the way they are? In today's passage, Jesus tells us plainly, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And so, as he is speaking to those listening to him, to the Jewish leaders, they want to hear one thing, but he tells them something much more important. They're frustrated, but if they're willing to listen, they will hear some wonderful truths about who he really is and what it means to follow him. And so, first of all, he shows them that he is the Messiah. But this is a word that has had lots of baggage attached to it for thousands of years, just as much back then as it does today. He's speaking to them in the festival of dedication, a winter festival that we often know today as Hanukkah and is still celebrated by lots of Jewish people around the world. It was a festival that was commemorating the recovery of Jerusalem and the rededication of the temple just 150 or so years before this, these events take place. And so there are lots of Jews gathered in the temple to celebrate the celebrations went for over a week. And as they were gathered around him, they say to him there in verse 24, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. They've asked a direct question and they want a direct answer. It's like they're saying to him, how long are you going to annoy us? How long are you going to keep on evading our questions? But they don't seem to be wanting clarity on this issue so that they can worship him better, so that if he really is the Messiah, they can bow down to him. They want him to unambiguously answer this question so that they will have a reason to attack him. But of course, as so often happens, Jesus doesn't give them what they wanted. You see, not once has he publicly declared himself to be the Messiah? And definitely not to Jewish people. 
Now, that's because so many Jewish people had a lot of baggage attached to that word. They thought they knew what it meant. In private conversations and with the Samaritan woman back in chapter 4, he actually does reveal quite plainly who he is because he knows that she is someone who isn't going to misunderstand what he means by the word Messiah. And this is because the word Messiah, or its Greek equivalent that we know as the word Christ, it had too many political and military overtones. And Jesus wanted to avoid this. He wasn't there to be a king. He wasn't there to be a great political ruler or a military general. But the Jews want to know, so they want him to tell them plainly. But think about it. Just in the previous part of this chapter, uh, he's been teaching them that he is the good shepherd. So for all that he has said and done in the Gospel of John so far, if they were willing to pay attention, well, Jesus has told them pretty plainly who he is, what it means to follow him, and what he has come to do. Now, he doesn't say whether he is the Messiah or not, but he says something else. In our next section, he shows that he and his father are one. Something amazingly profound for us today as it was for them. He even says to them in verse 25, I did tell you, but you do not believe. He's spoken plainly, but they have misunderstood him. All his words, all his ministry points in one direction, but so many of them are not willing to see where it has pointed. Look at all that he's done. He's, re- he's restored a man who was paralyzed for his entire life. He's, uh, he's healed a man who was born blind. Lots of people have seen the results of his miracles. Shortly after this, he's going to perform the resurrection of a man who was dead. Why do so many people not understand? Why are their ears closed? It's because they don't belong to Jesus' flock. They are not his sheep. This is an image that, of course, we were looking at in great detail last week in the first half of chapter 10. And it's an image that Jesus draws on again here as he is speaking to these people in the temple courts. He says in verse 20, 26, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you were here last week, you'll remember what a comfort it is to know that if we listen to Jesus' voice, he knows us and we can follow him in great security. But the other side of the coin is that If you do not believe, as he says to these people here, you are not my sheep. Those who don't listen to Jesus, he's saying, don't hear his voice and don't know him. Therefore, they do not follow him. Therefore, they were not not willing to accept all that he has done and all that he has said and who that points to him being. But... For those that do follow him, well, there's great assurance, great security, and great comfort in knowing that we can follow him. Because 
not his hand or his father's hand will ever let go of us. In verse 28, he says to us, to people in his flock, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you think back to the first half of the chapter, not a wild animal is going to take his sheep away, nor thieves or robbers, not anyone. No one will snatch us out of Jesus' hand. And it's not just his hand either. We can have even more confidence because in verse 29, he goes on to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. No one will snatch us out of Jesus' hand because no one can snatch us out of his father's hand and his father is God of all, the creator of all. That means that the only way that we can be separated from Jesus is if we ourselves walk away, if we give up on the eternal life that he has promised to us, if we forget that he's the Messiah, not just for one country or one political system or one army, but of the whole world throughout time, and that as the Messiah, he has saved us from our own sin that separates us from Jesus. The only way that we can be snatched out of he or his father's hand is if we ourselves are the ones who walk away from him. But we never need to fear that anyone could make us walk away because we are secure. He says in verse 30, I and the father are one. That's why anything that applies to the Father applies to the Son as well, and vice versa. We have great security in Christ. As, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our life both now and life eternal as well. That's the security we have, the comfort we have, and the great love we have in Jesus as well. What one does, the other does, the Father and the Son. Now Jesus has shown the Jews listening to him amazing and profound truths about who he is and who his Father is and what it means to follow him, but he still hasn't answered their plain statement, has he? In fact, he's given them so much more. He's shown that We can't be taken out of his hand or his father's hand. And next, as well as he and his father being one, he shows them that he is his father's son, that he is God's son. Now, as he says to them, I and the father are one, they take this as an opportunity to attack him. They pick up stones But Jesus says to them, there in verse 32, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? They reply that, well, they're not stoning him for anything he's done, but because of what he's said. Him. He has claimed to be God. Now, they're partly right. He has claimed to be God. He's made himself equal with God. 
but they're also wrong in that he's not establishing some new God. He is showing that he and the Father are one, and he is his Father's Son. It's the same God. And they're also profoundly mistaken because they haven't grasped that their own scriptures have been leading to this point, to God revealing himself in the person of his Son. Every promise made in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. What Jesus says here to them, well, it would be blasphemy if it were not true. And to decide whether it's true or not, Jesus points to everything that he said, to everything that he's done. He says there in verse 37, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. If they think about everything that he's done, shouldn't that at least give them pause to consider if what he is saying is true? And this is, of course, the same question that I think everyone, everyone in our city should be asking today as well. If Jesus really did do those great works that we have here written for us in our scriptures if he really did teach everything about who he is and who the Father is, if what he said about his death and resurrection came to pass, then he is someone worth paying attention to and worth considering. Same today as it was for the Jews back in the temple courts. But instead of considering what he has said, what he has done, they try to seize him. But he escapes. As we know, his hour has not yet come. He still has things to do. He still has things to teach the people as well. And so it looks as though he retreats, not just to another part of the city, but across the Jordan River to another part of the country altogether. But in that area, an area that didn't have the same hang-ups about what the Messiah meant, They didn't think that it necessarily had to be some great political or military leader. In that area, people are more open to learning about who he is and what he has done. You see, that was an area that John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, had done a lot of teaching. He himself hadn't done any great signs and miracles, but he told them that Jesus was coming. And he told them who Jesus was and what he could do. And they remember that. When they see Jesus... They say in verse 41, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Their ears were open to hearing about who Jesus was and they were willing to become part of his flock as a result. Even though they themselves didn't know their uh, scriptures as well as those who were in the temple courts, in the very centre of Jewish religious life, they were more open to God working in their hearts. So Jesus truly does tell us plainly what we need to hear. Not always what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. For the Jews that he was talking to, they wanted him to say, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. But he wouldn't say that to them. For us, we might want him to say, 
I am the one who will fulfill your desires. I am the one who will lead you to a good life. I am the one who will show you how to have all that you are looking for. I am the one who will tell you the answers to the world's problems, why things are the way they are. Sometimes Jesus tells us what we want to hear, but sometimes he tells us so much more. In today's passage, he's told us that him, he and his father are one. A wonderful truth that he truly is one with the God who made us, who knows us, who we've rebelled against in our hearts and yet has provided for himself the means for us to come to him as his children. That is what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, to lead us back into a relationship with his Father. He tells us that he and his Father are one. And secondly, he tells us that no one will snatch you out of his hand. No one will make you walk away from God. No matter what opposition you might feel in the world or in your life, no matter what troubles you might face, or no matter how many of your particular dreams or desires you achieve in life, no one will snatch you out of his hand. In that, each of us is secure as part of his flock. So isn't it wonderful that Jesus doesn't tell us what we want to hear always, but he knows us so much better. He tells us what we need to hear, that we are loved by him, that we are in his family, and that we can have eternal life through him being our Messiah. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that Jesus tells us that he is one with you, his Father. We thank you that no one can snatch us out of his hand or out of your hand, that we are safe and secure in you. Help us not to forget that. Help us not to wander. Help us to remember the great truth it is to have Jesus as the one who is our shepherd, our Messiah, our Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.